0: Alright, tonight we're going to be having a look at Luke chapter 18 and um, how to pray and never give up is the uh, subtitle with a question mark on the end because how do you pray and never give up? Well, we might find out if we look into this. Um, This is one of those wonderful parables of Jesus that I love and. We're going to read it and just kind of dig into it and see what it might say to us about prayer and um, how we can encourage one another to keep praying um, all the time. Oh, good. (laughs) Wonderful. Who's familiar with this parable? You don't even know. Anyone familiar with Luke? (laughs) I haven't even told you what it is. Luke chapter 18. Persistent widow. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, everyone's, everyone's just memorised their Bible and know what Luke chapter 18 says. I'm just really talking while I wait. Oh, it's there. Thanks, Dan. I'm waiting for you. Okay. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and never give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Kind of like a... Interesting little story, isn't it? Uh, this actually came about because Jill Chapman and I were chatting. Uh, I don't even know when it was a couple of weeks ago. and We were just in our conversation. The, this, this parable came up. So then I've just been thinking about this. It sort of irritated me, Jill, to be honest. I don't know if it's irritated you. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, this is one of those parables that when I was thinking about beholding Jesus and what we're doing, I would put this parable in my box of, Flip and don't like you saying this, Jesus. That's like, that's the box I put this in. Because on the surface level, it just seems to indicate that if we just harass God enough, we'll get what we want. And I'm pretty sure that somewhere in my Christian life, I've heard sermons along those lines. Because just when you read this at face value, it looks like this widow gets what she wants because... She just keeps persisting and bothering the judge. And then Jesus kind of says, wow, well, like if this judge will, you know, give her what she wants, how much more will God give you what you want? And I just don't like that, to be honest. So it goes in my box of don't like that. And then and then we were talking about it and it irritated me because then I thought I better actually find a better meaning for this, because I'm not very good at prayer. And if that's the line, if that's the end line, I'm out to see, basically. I don't know about you. I mean, if I was to stand here and say, how is your prayer life, which is the question everyone loves their pastor asking them. How's your prayer life going? How would you answer it? Like, no one wants to answer that question. And I mean, are there any like super awesome prayers in the room that are like, if you were to ask me that question, I'm like 10 out of 10, Caro, my prayer life's on fire. Anyone? Don't, don't be shy. I feel super free to, like, boast because that's totally biblical. But you know what I mean? Like, I think we all kind of struggle with prayer. And then we read a parable like this and we think Jesus is just telling us to pray even harder, pray even more, and we'll get what we want. And I just feel like, ugh, unhelpful Jesus. Um, so I've been reading it and thinking about it and reading it and digging into it. And I've come up with a better thing. And I'll tell you so you can feel better about it too. Um. Jesus does what I love Jesus doing when he tells parables. And I'll say this to you probably forever if you're in Central, but if you think that you understand what a parable is saying, then you've got it wrong, basically. So as soon as you think you've got a parable sorted, you need to actually think a bit harder because you probably don't. That is what is so brilliant about the parables of Jesus. And, of course, we struggle quite hard with Jesus' parables because we're separated so much by culture and time and so, you know, we don't, well, do we, does anyone actually know a judge in their personal life? But, you know, most of us know, she's a lawyer, so, you know, like, most of us don't actually, so it's like this far removed thing and, I mean, is anyone, how many widows do people interact with regularly? Like, you know, like, it's just even the language in it's just a little bit different for us and we're kind of outside that system where you know judges and widows kind of interact on a regular basis. So we kind of miss a lot anyway. This parable Jesus is doing what he does best, which is just making a total caricature of these characters. In other words, these characters are nothing like what the people listening would have expected these characters to be like. Number 1, judges should be fair wise, elders, who care about people, who honour and fear God, and who will do what is right. But Jesus tells this story about this judge who just does not give a rip about God or people. So already he's like, you know, making a big caricature out of this judge, this judge person who should be doing justice right and isn't. And then this This widow, I mean, what do you think when you think about a widow in Bible times? What's a a Bible widow like? Outcast, poor, can't look after herself, downtrodden, you know, I mean, because we have, like, verses that say, you know, like, true religion is looking after orphans and widows, like, you got to look after them, they're a little bit fragile and soft and they need special care, well, not this widow. This widow is like like the grandma in Looney Tunes. Do you know the grandma in Looney Tunes? Who is, is Tweety's grandma and like she's always whacking the crap out of Sylvester with her umbrella. But she looks meek and mild, right? So like she's got, and I, I, I watched one of them. She's like, she's got the old lady dress on and she's like, you know, got the appropriate lady hump. You know, not this, not this one, but this one—the old lady hump. You know, like not the two. Anyway, and she's like, she looks all like soft and like, and then she gets out of her umbrella and she's like whacking the crap out of. Well, that's a little bit like what this widow is because she doesn't come across as all poor and oh, I need justice. Do you know that word when she says? Um, go back a slide, Dan. Where she says she he, this widow kept coming. To the judge with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Justice is not a good translation of that word. What she wants is vengeance. She wants vengeance against this person who has done her wrong. So already the alarm bells are kind of going off for anyone because, like, are we, are we as God's people into vengeance? We're supposed to love our enemies, not extract vengeance from them. So, like, already she's, like, trumped up to be this kind of unusual character. And for some time, the judge refuses and says, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, because this widow widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets her vengeance so that she won't come and give me a black eye is basically the translation. So we have this judge who doesn't fear God or care for people, afraid that a nice little widow is going to come and beat him up. So it's like Jesus is taking characters and he's painting them large and amazing and pushing stereotypes out the window in order to kind of make, I think people would have been laughing at this parable. I think they would have been cracking up at the the picture Jesus was painting of these two characters: this widow, she's not destitute and needing mercy and kindness. She's out for vengeance, and she'll do violence until she gets it against anyone. So we're kind of like, you know, already in in um, strange waters. The other thing I love about this parable is we have no idea if what if the vengeance she wants is just. You might assume. That, you know, like, oh, the poor widow. But we don't. she doesn't seem like a poor widow character. For all we know, she's tramping on the neck of someone else who's worse off than her and basically just wants vengeance from some, some poor other guy. So we don't actually know if what the judge decides in the end is actually fair and just or if he's just corrupting the system by giving her what she wants. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just all left up for, like, grabs. We don't know. So it's like a crazy story that Jesus um, tells... And he's trying to say something to us about prayer. But in the context of the whole thing, you're kind of like, what are you trying to say here, God? Like, are you, are you like, Jesus, are you comparing God to an unjust judge? Because that kind of sounds sort of borderline heresy, you know. Should we compare God to an unjust judge? Who has ever felt like God has been an unjust celestial being in their life? So I even think Jesus is playing around with how he knows we already think about God. Like I think he's going, I know some of you guys. You guys think that your father in heaven this is a little bit like an unjust judge because you've been oppressed by these Roman people for like, how long are we talking now? And then before them, the Greeks, how long are we talking? And Before them, the Persians, how long are we talking? So you've been praying for quite a while for this justice and righteousness to come your way, little Israelite widow, but nothing's been happening, has it? So, of course, you are all probably feeling like God is a bit of an unjust judge. So I see Jesus like putting words in people's mouths about how they already kind of feel and how we often feel about God, that we pray and we don't get what we feel like we should get. And I think Jesus is being a bit cheeky and I like it because I like when Jesus does that. I think that verse 1 of this parable is very misleading and if I could go back and meet Luke who wrote the book of Luke, I would have words with him about his editorializing of this parable because he's done what is unusual and not that very often done in the Gospels in that he tells us the point of the parable before he actually tells us the parable. That's like the editor editing something rather than giving you the raw information. Like that's a, that's a, that's a version of, of Luke inserting himself a little bit into the narrative like here's a weird story but before you read it let me tell you what it means but the point of the parable wasn't that you would actually just oh yeah I get it now I know what it means the point of any parable is that it irritates you enough to go away and figure it out so Luke's doing something that I'm unimpressed with Luke Saint Luke you can handle it so I feel like if I, I would, I mean, and I don't know how you feel about the Bible, if you, you know, like, but I would just take that bit out. You can, like, you can get upset with me later. I think it would be better to start at verse 2 and have the parable and then have us sit with it and wrestle with it what it actually means rather than just saying, hey, this is a parable about praying and not giving up. I feel like it's a bit misleading because I do think, like I said before, that it sets us up to think that if we just keep praying and persisting and annoying God with our prayers then we will get what we ask for. Even if he is a bit unjust, even if he just doesn't care, even if he is a bit like bored today with the affairs of the world, if you just persist, just keep praying, just keep asking, you'll get your vengeance or you'll get your justice. Be like the tenacious widow, just keep at it. And I just feel like there's got to be more to the parable than Jesus just telling us that the grittier we are in prayer, the more likely we are to get our answer. There's got to be a better better end of the story than that because if that's the end of the story, then basically I fail every second day of the week because I find it hard to just keep praying sometimes for things that don't seem to be coming along. So I don't think that that's what Jesus is actually doing and again because we don't always understand parables or understand the Greek that they were written in, we don't really kind of catch what Jesus is doing here. But he's not actually comparing God to an unjust judge. And if we look at um, verse 7, this is where we know that Jesus is doing something different than comparing two things. Two things. Basically, that verse seven says, "And will not God." That and will not God is called, and you don't have to remember this because, and I will pronounce it wrong, it is a common Jewish comparative phrase called a calvacoma. So basically that statement, and will not God is a vowel capona, which was always used to compare two things, the lesser to the greater, um, making a point through juxtaposing two opposite and alternative things. So it's like Jesus is using language and tricks, not tricks of language, but turns of phrase that we don't quite catch in the English in order to do something and turn something around. So a rabbi would use the, a vowel component to kind of like push people from understanding one thing in the small to then understanding another thing in the big. It was like if this is true in the small broken instance, then this is infinitely more true in the large amazing instance. So what Jesus is sort of saying, it's like how much more, how much more will God Do what is right compared to this unjust judge. How much more is God going to um, bring about justice and bring about what is right compared to this unjust judge? If it's true and it works in the simple and the lesser thing, even though it's broken and messed up, how much more is it going to work in this greater thing? If this judge who doesn't fear God or care what people think can do justice, how much more... Will God do what is right because he loves you? Now, this is the point that I want to make and the thing that I want you to remember tonight. The encouragement to pray and not give up, the encouragement to pray and not get weary, the encouragement to pray and keep persisting is not so that you get what you want, but you pray and keep praying because... God is good and he loves you. And those two things are very different. To pray and not give up so that you get what you want is very different from praying and not giving up because you know how good God is and that he loves you and that in the end, things will be okay. So that's, I think, what the parable is trying to say. We persist in praying, not so we get what we want, but we persist in praying because we know that in the end it's going to be okay. Therefore, we can keep on praying even when it looks like it's not okay because we don't trust in the outcome, but we have trust and faith and hope in the God who is good, who loves us immensely and is into justice and mercy and goodness. And so we pray and not give up, not because we're going to get something, but because of just how good our God is. It's really about your prayer position. What is the perspective that you're praying from? Are you praying? And I think many of us actually pray a lot out of fear and anxiety rather than trust in the goodness of God. I think many, much of our prayer life is actually motivated out of fear and anxiety. Something happens, anxiety rises within us, and we pray. And we're praying kind of like, you know, kind of enervated out of anxiety or fear or anger or whatever. But the other way of praying is by going, wow, God is so good. He is good, he has got this, he has got me, so I can pray that way. So it's like, how are you praying? Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 and 7, it's one I do know off by heart. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation with prayer and petition, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. I think that that is Paul's interpretation of this parable. How do we pray? In everything, we present our requests to God. And how do we do that? Not out of fear and anxiety and out of worry and stress and out of, oh my goodness, is it going to be okay? But out of trust in the goodness of God. That's how we have the peace that passes all understanding, that guards our hearts and minds. Because we're praying from the perspective that God is good and he's got this. Not from the perspective of, holy moly, I hope this works out all right because I'm freaked out and God, you better come through. There are two very different postures that you can take to prayer. Let me give you a couple of like examples of this in, in my life. Luke's a cyclist, which many of you know, and... Um, If you know anyone who road cycles regularly, you'll know that the odds on them getting whacked by a car are reasonably high. Um, It's a, well, yeah, I know you're going to say no, but compared to me, who doesn't cycle at all, the odds are high. Higher? Infinitely higher. Um, And there is a certain vulnerability you have out there on the roads, and like there are stories I know Luke doesn't come home and tell me, because he doesn't want me to know certain things that happen out there on the road because then i won't harass him about not going out do you know what i mean cyclists do end up in icu wards never waking up from head trauma like that that's a reality when i i've been at the physio a lot since i've you know um, had knee surgery and he he's a my physio's a mountain bike rider he's always telling me how much better mountain bike riding is to road road cycling because he sees like the comparison of injuries between road and i'm like thank you for the the graphic, you know, anxiety delivering awesomeness. So anyway, all of this to say that, I mean Luke cycles all the time so I can't spend my life in anxiety about whatever but there are times when he has said to me, I should be home at 7.30 and 7.45 comes and he's not home and 8 o'clock comes and he's not home and that anxiety about is my husband coming home, kind of rises in me. And there have been times, I don't know if I've ever told you this, there have been times where, because he gets up and goes out riding at like stupid o'clock in the morning. But there have been times when I've woken up at like, I don't know, you're not in the bed, so sometime after you've left but before. And my mind, you know our beautiful, wonderful, anxious mind, like I'm just half asleep and all of a sudden I realise Luke's not in the bed and my mind just goes straight to like he's dead. Do you know, do you ever, like, does anyone else's mind do, like, that crazy thing? Yeah. Like, he's dead. Like, I mean, I I was, like, two seconds ago, I was dreaming about puppies and unicorns, and now my husband's dead. Like, please give me a break. So, and in that moment, it's not like you just have this random thought. Like, you have this body response, don't you, to, like, and whoosh, the anxiety just floods up you. And I have had moments like that when I've felt this, like, freak-out moment about, is my husband going to end up a vegetable in ICU and I'm going to have, you know, and, and then, of course, if you let your mind do it, you'll go all the way down to, like, taking the children in and, like, turning off the life support machine and sobbing at the, you know, like, we could make, like, you know, those of you who are catastrophizers can empathize with me. And um, I have learned that in these moments, I have a couple of choices about how I respond And really, if we're talking about prayer, I've got a couple of ways I can pray when that hits me. Number one, I can start praying for all glory kingdom come using all my best Pentecostal whispers to try and somehow create some, you know, magical force field of protection around my husband on his side. Do you know what I mean? Sounds pretty good, yeah. But, like, we can go out of fear and anxiety. I can go to like all kinds of like bargaining with God to try and keep my husband safe on, this, on the bike. Like, but basically, I'm praying out of fear and anxiety. And, like, I can, like, is it good that you pray anyway? Sure, pray anyway. Take, go home and pray anyway. But it's not the best way to pray for anyone because basically I'm acting like God is an unjust judge and I'm a poor widow and if I just beat him up enough or pray the right prayer or say the right statement or make the most magical, supernatural, spiritual prayer I can, then I will somehow get what I want. Like it's really manipulation of God at its base form. Not a great way to pray. The other thing I can do in that moment is recognise that regardless of what happens that morning or any morning that my husband is out cycling, God is good and I will be okay. And I can pray from that place, God, I'm freaked out right now. I've just had all the anxiety rush through my body. My husband is going to die and I've already switched off the life support machine in my mind. But you are good and I, tr- I I trust you I trust you that whatever happens in life you've got me and you've got my children and we will be okay and I remember God that there are many women who have been through this who've lost husbands and they have survived and so I trust that whatever happens in my life please protect my husband and keep him safe but Whatever happens, I trust you because you're good. That's a very different way to pray. It's a much better position to pray from. And that is what Jesus is pushing us into with this parable. Don't pray out of your fear and anxiety, imagining that if you just say the right words often enough, you're going to get what you want. Pray out of the trust in the goodness of God. Pray out of your trust in the justice and mercy of God that in the end, and I don't mean the end of the day or even the end of your life, but in the end of all things, God has got this and we will all be okay. Pray from that place and let the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your heart, your mind in Christ Jesus because you can let the anxiety roll away and trust in God and his goodness towards you. God can't promise, well, I don't think God's going to promise me that nothing bad will ever happen to Luke. But God can promise me that no matter what happens in my life, he's got me and my home is in him. Like we sang tonight, my home is in God. And even if the very worst thing would happen to me, my home is still in God. He will never leave me nor forsake me. My comfort, my peace and my joy can always be in him no matter what I face in life. This has to be the truth of our God. Otherwise, what's the point? Because life is hard and life happens to all of us. So the challenge is to you, when you pray, how are you praying? That's what I wish Luke had said at the beginning. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and pray from the right position. I'd rather him say that than just say, just keep praying. Jesus is pushing us To say, your God is good. If this just judge who is total crap can make a good decision, how much more will your Father in heaven who loves you do what is right by you? So pray, 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 pray and never give up. But don't pray out of anxiety. Imagining that if you don't pray the right prayers, something bad will happen to you. Pray out of the trust in the goodness of God who has got this. He's got you. He's got your kids. He's got your grandkids. He's got your job. He's got your future. He's got the future of the whole world. He's got it. Let it go and let the peace that passes all understanding flood your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus because we serve a God who's got it. Yeah? So let us pray and never give up. But let us do it with peace and trust, remembering who we're praying to. So when we pray, we're not praying from anxiety, we're praying to the God who has got it. That's our position. God, you've got it. You've got me, you've got us, you've got it. So I pray and I never give up because you've got it. And I pray from that position. Just to finish, I want to say a few things about the fact that some of us may have actually given up on prayer. Because maybe you've just sat through the last 25 minutes of me me harassing you about not giving up on prayer. But in the first five seconds, you were like, dude, I gave up a while ago. And I haven't been praying for a while. So let me talk to you for a minute. Because I know how you feel. And sometimes in life, we have given up on prayer and we don't know how to pray and we struggle with faith. And that last line, that haunting, beautiful, thank you Jesus line of, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? It's like, cut to the heart Jesus, like, I don't know. Um, we feel that tension. This is what I want to say to you. There are times in my life when I have not been able to pray for many different reasons. Some of it's been my own brokenness, my own trauma, my own grief, my own sadness. My own actual rage is probably more why I've not been able to pray. Rage at God. Um, I have needed other people to pray with me and to pray for me when I've been in that place. It's okay if you're in that place. If you can honestly say tonight, you know what, Caro, I just can't pray right now. That's okay. Jesus didn't tell you this story to make you feel worse. Um, There is so much more in the Bible about how we love one another and how we do the life of faith together. And so when some of us can't pray, we engage the one-anotherness of the body of Christ and we pray with each other and we pray for each other and we carry one another Just like the four friends carried their crippled friend to the feet of Jesus, there's times in prayer when we can't pray for ourselves and we need to let other people know, you know what, right now in this season of my life, I ain't praying. I can't do it. If the Son of Man comes, he ain't finding faith on this earth. We need to tell each other about that and cover one another in prayer, to pray for one another and to pray with one another. And I have had those times, and I will say that there are times when I've survived on the faith of other people rather than on my own faith. And I am so grateful for those people who've had faith on my behalf to carry me through the real hard, dark seasons of life, and they do happen. So if you're in one of those, you need to talk about it. You need to find someone you trust, You need to be honest with them and you need to ask them to pray with you and to pray for you and carry you in the moments when you can't pray because you will come through and you will pray again because God is good and his goodness will chase you and it will harass you until you fall at the feet of God and acknowledge, okay, okay, you're good and you'll pray again. Is that all right? That's why we need one another. It's why we need church. It's why we sing because there are days when I can't sing them words. The person next to me has got a great voice. I will just listen to them. That's good for my soul. And there are times when I can't pray because I don't know what I think about God or about prayer or about faith or about any of it. But I'll listen to your prayers and it will do something good in my soul. That's what we do for one another. So if you're in that place where you find like, wow, you know what? I can't do it right now. Find someone who will do it with you and write on their faith for a while. God's got this. He's got you. You don't have to worry. Amen? I think we should finish by praying because that sounds better than anything. And you know, actually, what I'd like you to do, um, let's, okay, I I think it would be good for us to pray. I think it would be good for us to... um, There's there's a myriad of things we can do right now, but I want you to talk to the person next to you. And number one thing is just find out where they're at with prayer. Um, If they're like, I can't pray, boom, pray together. Let the person not pray. You pray for them, okay? Cover that last bit. If you're both like, "Eh, my prayer life's, you know, average right now, what I want you to do is actually think about something that you are praying for in your life, anything, Praying for your brother, praying for your job, praying for the refugees on Nauru, praying for anything. Just pick something that you pray for and practice with someone else praying not from a position of anxiety, but from a position of how good God is. And pay attention to see if your language and your prayers actually change when you pray from the place of, wow, God's got this. If God's got the refugees on Nauru, how do I pray about them? I pray about them differently than if I'm freaking out thinking that my prayers are what the whole thing's riding on. It's a very different posture to pray from. So how about we just practice praying from a different posture with the person next to us unless they're in total like prayer crazy land and then pray for one another. Is that all right? Can we do that? How about I pray for us before we do that? Jesus, I thank you that you reveal to us a God who is good Thank you that it's just—it's not up to us. Man, if this whole thing was up to us, we'd be up a creek somewhere. But it's not. It's up to you, God. So help us to pray from the position that says, God, you've got this and you love us. And justice and peace and mercy and goodness are going to roll like a river from now through all eternity. Help us to pray trusting in who you are God not believing that you're an unjust judge so cover us God as we go out from here this week and as we pray through the days this week challenge us if we're praying from a place of anxiety Holy Spirit we give you permission to prompt us when our prayers start to come into fear and worry and help us to lift our eyes up to the goodness of the God who loves us And we just, we say, help us, God, with our prayers. We want Jesus to find faith on this earth in the goodness of his Father when he comes back. Help us, God. Amen. Well, how about we just pray for a bit, spend some time chatting and praying to the person next to you, and then when you've done that, be blessed.